Gina Della from Pella through June 30th at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 40% off installation or six-year no-interest financing. Get details now at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I absolutely love those of you who listen to the program regularly and share your life experiences. If you're a regular listener, uh, you know that one of my happy places in the world is Key West. Haven't been there uh, for about a year, about about a year and a half now. So one of our listeners, this is how the show starts. Jeff, I'm in Key West right now. Not a mask in sight, even inside the shops. Only employees are wearing them. It has been great. So I said, I'm very jealous. I'm going down in late October, early November. Head over to the Green Parrot, which is one of the great dive bars in the United States. Have a cold beer for me. I think we're going to try to go down late October, early November. One of my other happy places is Las Vegas. And I haven't been to Las Vegas for about a year and a half and just booked that trip. My, um, I, I was not going to do it except my, um, my brother-in-law, uh, my, my, my brother-in-law, my friend Kenny, he, um, he has a zero year. We've been to Vegas once and he has a zero year birthday coming up, uh, late September, which happens to coincide with my, my wedding anniversary and stuff. And he said, well, but let, how about we go back to Vegas? And I was like, okay, twist my arm. And then I said to my, I said to Fran, should we go? And she said, well, whatever you want to do. And I said, well, we'll spend our, we will spend our anniversary in Las Vegas. So Vegas and then maybe Key West getting back to normal. It feels good. All right. I, I can give you a description of this, but there, there's a two-minute news account from one of the Florida news stations that, that captures the, this, where we want to start. It is an almost, almost unbelievable situation. It happened two days ago. It is like Bonnie and Clyde, except Bonnie is 14 and Clyde is 12. Here's the, um, here's the account. Sky 6 flew over the home off Enterprise Osteen Road. Deputies say the suspects who are foster children broke into the home, then used weapons they found inside. Mark Lehman joins us with the latest developments. Just in the last hour, we got a chance to speak with the owner of this home off camera. He tells us he's still in a state of shock. The man just left for the store with his family when the sheriff's office says his home was broken into. When they returned, deputies were engaged in a standoff with those two children, which quickly escalated. We watched this morning as deputies examined damage from the gunfire. Investigators returning to the Enterprise home where they say a 12 and 14 year old sparked a high powered shootout. They were coming out to kill cops. They were coming out to kill deputies. The Volusia County Sheriff's Office identifying the suspects as 12-year-old Travis O'Brien and 14-year-old Nicole Jackson. Deputies say the two ran away from a nearby group home and broke into this house, finding high-powered weapons and 200 rounds of ammunition. And where do you learn to use this weaponry? I, I, at 12, I didn't know how to fire an AK-47 or unload it and reload it or use a pump shotgun. Sheriff Mike Chitwood says the children opened fire as deputies surrounded the home. This wasn't a shootout in one area of the house. They were traversing the length of that house and opening fire on deputies from different angles. Chitwood says deputies tried to de-escalate the situation but were forced to shoot Jackson as she aimed a shotgun at them. She was rushed to the hospital as O'Brien surrendered without firing another shot. They tried to do everything humanly possible to end this peaceably. But you know what? You can't end it peaceably if the people that are armed shooting at you don't want it to end peaceably. 
We're told Jackson, the 14-year-old, was stable after undergoing surgery for life-threatening injuries. Both Jackson and O'Brien are facing charges of attempted murder on law enforcement and armed burglary. Investigators, meanwhile, are continuing to gather evidence from this home. Okay, so let me review the bidding on, on what happens here. You have, this is Tuesday night, and Enterprise Florida is, it, it's a little bit south of Jacksonville. It's on the northeast, it's on Florida's northeast coast. So what happens is you've got these two kids who are in this group home, a United Methodist Children's Home in Enterprise. I don't know why the 12-year-old was in there. The 14-year-old, who is the female, the 14-year-old, um, she... She's been in trouble with the, for example, she burned down her last group home. <laughs> That's it. She burned down her last group home. Now, I, I don't know why she got into this group home or what got her into group homes in the beginning, but obviously very, very troubled. So this is Tuesday night. The, the two kids run away from the, the group home. They burglarize this house. And in the house are, are a bunch of guns. There's an AK-47, there's a pump shotgun, and hundreds of rounds of, of ammunition. I mean, it's it's just the, the guy's a hunter or whatever. He's got these guns there. The house is empty at the time. Man and his kids have, have left. They've gone to the store or whatever. So what ends up happening is these kids essentially set up shop in the house and um, there, there's a call. Somebody calls and says, hey, there, there's people burglarizing this house. So the cops show up, at which point in time, the 14-year-old girl and the 12-year-old boy, and I've seen pictures of the 12-year-old boy. He, he looks like an altar boy. I haven't seen what the 14-year-old looks like, but the 12-year-old looks like he's 12 years old going on eight. They get into a major league shootout with the cops to the point that as the as the sheriff is saying they're they're running back and forth through the house they're they're reloading they're they're kicking out windows and they're shooting at the police and then they're going to the backside and they're shooting at the police i mean this is they're firing hundreds of rounds this is a a full blown shootout that you would expect that you would find when you've cornered a couple terrorists. I mean, they're firing at the police. The police are, are trying not to engage. And their, their story is that they're, you know, they, they were met with gunfire multiple times. I mean, that the kids, when they see the cops, they're shooting at the cops. They are trying to kill the police officers. And the police are, are not shooting back, not shooting back. Finally, what happens is, you know, they've kind of surrounded the house, and the 14-year-old girl comes out of the garage with a pump-action shotgun, at which point in time they drop her. Uh, I don't know how many shots they fired, but but they drop her. I don't think she's she's taken to the hospital where she's in serious condition, but I don't think it's life-threatening. After the 14-year-old gets taken down, gets shot, the 12-year-old at that point surrenders. But you've got, I mean, you, you've got gunshots all over. I mean, this was, this was a major league firefight. And it's a 14-year-old, and it's a 12-year-old. So anyhow, the 14-year-old taken to the hospital, the 12-year-old taken into custody. Both, one of the reasons that they're using their names on the police, on the report is that both of them have now been charged with, um, felonies. Um, let's see the the uh, they both with attempted murder of police officers, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it starts with the attempted murder and then it, it kind of uh, goes down from there. But interestingly, in Florida, there is no minimum age for waving children into adult court. And both the 12 year old and the 14 year old have now been charged as adults 
in Florida court. Now, like I say, if you look at the picture of the 12-year-old that I've seen, he looks like he's about eight years old. You, you look at this and you say, this, this is the kid that walks away from the group home and grabs the AK-47 and gets into a shootout with the cops? But yeah, it, it is. 12 years old, 14 years old. They have now both been charged with a series of felonies that could put them in prison for a long, long time. We're talking decades. And in Florida, no no restrictions on waiving them into adult court. Now, the defense attorneys presumably are going to come in and will argue that maybe they should be treated as juveniles. But right now, they have been charged in adult court. 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. We, we always talk about, well, obviously, if, if you're young, you can you appreciate the consequences of your behavior? Can you understand the proceedings against you? This, this was not, you know, we're stealing gum from, we're shoplifting gum from the local grocery store. This isn't even, hey, we're, we're stealing a car and boosting it and taking it on a joyride. This is, we've burglarized a home, we've got access to high power weapons, and we're engaging in a shootout with the cops. 12 and 14, is it too young to treat these children as adults? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Obviously, these are troubled young people, but if you're willing to kill police officers in this fashion, yeah, I think you're old enough to be treated as an adult. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss. You're listening to Jack Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, a 12 and a 14-year-old walk away from their, their group home, burglarize a house, there's guns in the house. When the police show up to investigate the burglary, they get into an, an armed standoff. And I mean, I mean, armed standoff. There's they're firing on the police officers. This goes on for a length of time. The kids are running through the house, kicking out windows. It, it is like a shootout that you see in the movie. The police they they back off. Finally, when the 14 year old, who happens to be the female, comes out with a pump shotgun and starts firing at the cops, they they drop her. Uh, she, I do not think. It's not a fatal injury, but now both the 12 and 14 year old have been charged as adults, which is something you can do in Florida for a crime of this nature. All right. Is this too young? Should we be treating these kids in juvenile court, trying to get them help and then again, giving them a few years and then releasing them from custody at the age of 18? Let's start with Eric and Racine. Hi, Eric. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. What do you think? Just as the nature of the... uh of their intent, they intent on killing those cops. They did. When they, uh, when they arrived to intervene from burgling, no. I definitely don't charge them as juveniles. Uh, drag them up to the adult court because, obviously, they're acting like adults. They're children trying to act like adults. Well, and the so argument we would be like that adults. the age of 12 and 14 you are too young to appreciate, be able to appreciate the, the consequences of your behavior, that you you don't know it's wrong to break into a house, steal a bunch of guns, and get into a shootout with police. Um, at that age, I knew, uh, I knew what was right from wrong. Well, that was never one of my considerations. Yeah, I, I mean, you see, of course, I, that was a long time ago. Well, thank, thanks. For, you know, see, that that's kind of where I I come down on on this as well. I, there, there are certain criminal activities that maybe you can make an argument that you you can't appreciate.
appreciate the consequences of your behavior. You don't really know. Well, I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't be shoplifting that stuff. But eh, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I don't really appreciate the consequence. But that's not what this is. This is grabbing guns and trying to kill police officers. And it's not a mistake. It's not an accident. It's we're not going to be taken alive, I guess. And here we're going to start shooting and trying to kill cops. That, to me, is what the distinctive factor is. Obviously, these are troubled kids. Obviously, they need a whole bunch of help. But at some point in time, doesn't there have to be accountability? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Well, they're probably wishing they were in Wisconsin, where they would definitely be charged as juveniles. Look at the kid who shot up Mayfair. Um, I say charge them as adults. They were committing adult crimes. Yeah, that's the amazing story. The 15-year-old um, last November in Mayfair who opens fire in a crowded mall. And, of course, in Wisconsin, at least right now, we are treating him as a juvenile. Jeff, I think we should charge them to the full extent of the law. Jeff, the real victim is the family that went out to the store. It's a miracle they weren't home and didn't shoot the intruders themselves. As for the children, the courts will rightfully look at their past records, mental health. I see the 14-year-old getting waved into adult court, but depending on the 12-year-old's history, maybe they lock him up until he's just 18. Um, let's see. Uh, 855-616-1620. Jeff, if the police are shooting at you, that should be a clue that you are doing something wrong regardless of your age. Jeff, they're not too young. Milwaukee's problem is that youth criminals go almost scot-free. Well, there is an element to that. Jeff, I think we're long overdue to ending juvenile court to begin with. Well, I think juvenile court has a role. It doesn't have a role, at least in my opinion, when you get into a a shootout with police. Jeff, it's not like these kids were trying to steal candy. I think adult actions call for adult court. All right, now here's the flip side. Jeff, it's a terrible situation, but these children should be treated as children in the court and need mental help. There is no way they understand fully what they were doing. Hmm. There is no way they understand fully what they were doing. I don't know. At the age of 14, put yourself in that situation. At the age of 14, did you know right from wrong? Did you understand that I'm not supposed to break into a home, steal a bunch of guns, and then when the police show up, I'm going to get into a shootout with them? I mean, I think it's an interesting question. Um, Jeff, those two have some serious issues, obviously. Society is better off trying them as adults and locking up them for an extended period of time than wait for the next disaster to happen and potentially kill somebody before they end up getting um getting charged here's an interesting here's an interesting text jeff i think this is a case of citizens with military weapons which turns into a criminal event too many guns available to get in the wrong hands which is an interesting thought the the texter apparently thinks it's sort of it's the the law-abiding gun owners problem and it's, I read an interview with him. He's, he and his teenage daughters left the house. The, the guy, I mean, he's legally allowed to have these guns, and he's got a shotgun. I think he had a couple other guns as well. But at least one of our texters would see it as the perspective of this is the problem. You have a law-abiding gun owner who who has possession of firearms, and his, his behavior is somehow the problem because you have these two kids that break into the house 
get access to those guns and then decide to get into a police shootout. Well, there's probably a lot of stuff going on and maybe a lot of blame to go around. In my opinion, it's tough to blame the law-abiding gun owner who all he did was take his kids and go out to dinner that night. 855-616-1620. Dave in Oshkosh. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Uh, Well, you know, I work actually with with these um, individuals every day. Um, Not these individuals, but but similarly troubled kids, yeah. Right, right. So, you know, these are the extremists and stuff like that. But, you know, um, you know, there's no... There's there's no home life for one thing, obviously, right. because they're so young. So obviously something's going on there, and then you know, getting help and all that other kind of stuff is you know that's just going to be now the hopefully trail that the, they can get some help. But you know, I don't I don't a lot of times I don't I don't see them. All of a sudden it's like okay I'm I'm going to go um, apply for a job at, uh, you know, ABCD company and, right. um, everything's going to be great. So I just think that some of these things are just so scarred that it's so tough to see. And then, you know, the things that they're on as far as like medications and stuff, I mean, mm-hmm. boy, I, you know, I, I, it's really difficult sometimes. It's very challenging. Sure. And, you know, I'm in my mid fifties and, um, you know, uh, you grew up as a knight, I grew up as an Indian and, uh, you know, now that's all changed too. It's like, uh, why can't we go back to that? Oh, okay, where'd you grow up? Did you go? To, where, so I was Nicolay Knight. You went to what? Menominee Falls. No. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Got yep. it. Got it. Indians. I, thanks. Yep. I appreciate. It. Well, thanks for the work you do. Look at, and I, I, I understand. I understand, and that's why, like one of our texters said, you got to do away with juvenile court. I, I think there's a role for juvenile court, but unfortunately, I don't think we we have the right role for it. I mean, after. After you've stole, after you've stolen fifteen cars, okay. I don't care if you're twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Obviously, what they're doing in juvenile court isn't working. And in this particular case, these these kids, and I'll say kids. I mean, they they hit the jackpot. Now, am I saying that you put them in prison for necessarily life? No. But but the idea for the 14-year-old that we're going to treat her as a 14-year-old and that we're going to treat her in juvenile court and that she's going to be released into the community in four years after doing something like this, getting into a firefight with the cops, I, I don't I don't buy it. I, I just don't buy it. Jeff, when I was six, I knew the consequences were. My father made sure of that, and I thanked him for it. Now, I mean, obviously, the, the family life for these kids is probably just absolutely horrible, and they're clearly troubled, but that doesn't change the fact that e- even if they have an awful background, it doesn't change the fact that you can ignore what they are capable of doing. And in this case, they were trying to murder police officers, and it is but for the grace of God that they didn't. Now, I say treat them both as adults, but if you happen to see something about this story later on on the news or you see something on the internet and you see the picture of the 12 year old you're going to go my god this kid looks like he's seven or eight years old he was involved in a firefight and the answer is yes you can't judge a book by its cover i guess welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj A number of people were asking for some more details on that story we talked about. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I did send out a, uh, I sent out a link that has some of the the audio that we we played on the air. Um, my the, the, the my, my note was that the, the word they have the sheriff in that area in that county was saying it, it's unbelievable. You know we're we're in a life or death firefight with a fourteen and a twelve year old. I mean it's like Bonnie and Clyde. And the word the the 
the sheriff used was, was unbelievable. And my text is unbelievable is certainly one word I'd use to describe the story. Um, there are others as well. So if you want to see more details and some other links to that and do some follow up, um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I have a link to that. All right. The final Jeopardy answer is 3,852. 3,852. All right. I, I won't make you call in and guess because I, I, I understand I, I've done this once or twice before as these numbers continue to go up, and you probably have an idea. 3,852. Well, if you said how many cars have been stolen in the city of Milwaukee as of the end of May, you would be correct. 3,852. Now, let me give you perspective. That translates into approximately 25 cars stolen every day on the streets of Milwaukee or from the streets of Milwaukee. 25 cars a day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday night, Sunday, 25 cars a day. And to give you some more perspective, the same time last year, and last year was was not a down year. Last year was an up year for car thefts. But as of the same time, the end of May in 2020, 1,350 cars were stolen. So we're, we're looking at roughly three times as many cars being stolen the first six months, first, you know, um, five months of this year as were stolen the first five months of last year. And like I say, last year was not a down year. So that's the city of Milwaukee. Well, it, it's, it's also to a lesser extent, but still a huge problem proportionately in some of the suburbs. Wauwatosa, so far this year, there have been 83 cars stolen from the streets of Wauwatosa. Same time last year, 23 cars. So in the case of Wauwatosa, again, it, it's more than three times as many cars, same time this year, as being stolen in Wauwatosa. Brown Deer, 31 cars stolen in Brown Deer so far this year. Let me give you perspective. In all of 2020, the entire 12 months of 2020, last year, 37 were stolen the entire year. Already, we have 31 that are stolen in the first five months. In all of 2019, you had 26 cars that were stolen. 26 cars stolen the entire 2019, 31 so far, and we're just in the first couple days of, of June. Uh, Channel 4 had a, had a really interesting story about that. It's because, to their credit, they've, they've been following these numbers because this is not getting anywhere I think near the attention that it deserves, particularly from our elected officials and certainly from court personnel, whether people in the DA's office or, you know, people, whether it's the juvenile court judges or the regular court judges. But it's an interesting story. Let me just share a portion of what Channel 4 reported the other day. Uh, Danielle, um, Danielle Bach said a video from a neighbor's surveillance camera 
shows thieves driving away in her 2013 white Kia Rio near 14th and Cleveland in Milwaukee just before 3 a.m. on Tuesday. She found out it was missing hours later when she was going to get ready to go to work. It was just crazy. I have kids. I'm a social worker. I was actually going to go to a gas station and do a home visit after, and I couldn't even do that because my car has been stolen. The single mom said not having her car is impacting more than her job. Since my daughter's graduation is Friday and they're doing a drive-through celebration, I'm kind of disappointed that we're not even going to be able to do that for her graduation. Bach filed a police report and has tried to stay optimistic that her car will be found. And then the story goes through the different numbers that I was giving. In Brown Deer, what they say is that, um, first of all, criminals, and keep in mind, in Brown Deer, 31 cars so far stolen this year, 37 all of last year. One of the officers said the criminals aren't just sticking to unlock cars anymore. Police have seen thieves target cars in apartment parking lots. They're breaking car windows to get inside. They take out the ignition. They can get a car going in less than a minute. They say, well, mainly what we see is joyriding. We often recover the cars fairly quickly. Now, you can't say that in Milwaukee, but in Brown Deer, we recover the cars fairly quickly, and more often than not, they're damaged. They've been through some kind of wreck, so we're assuming speed is a factor. They were just driving recklessly around the city, and then they just get another one once the car they have is either wrecked or runs out of gas. All right, so you you understand what's going on here. You've got some people that are just stealing them for joyriding, reckless driving, let's smash into things, and then once we smash the car, we're just going to leave and we're going to steal another car. In other cases, that the cars are, and they're used for chop shops or parts, or they're used for rolling drug houses, or they're used to commit other crimes. But But this is an epidemic. It's an absolute epidemic. And yet we're not getting people to pay attention to this and treat it like an epidemic. Now, what caught me about the Channel 4 story is the woman whose car is stolen. Okay, she's a single mom. She works as a social worker. She comes out in the morning. Car is gone. Okay, that, that's that's how she gets to work. It's how she gets her kid to school. It, it's... I assume that there's probably insurance, and maybe at some point in time the insurance will pay. But it's an incredible inconvenience, not to mention the the personal violation that you have from having your your stuff stolen. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is it going to take for us to to, to stand up and say enough is enough? I mean, how many more cars have to be stolen off the streets before we recognize that this has got to be a priority? And and the answer to say, okay, g- give somebody a, a free club, you know, one of those auto theft things. Well, I, I don't have any problem with doing that. But but that's, I mean, those things can be defeated in just a couple s- seconds as well. That is not the answer, is it? It, it used to be, you know, we, we tell people, okay, don't leave the car running in front of your house to warm up on a cold winter day because it'll be stolen. All right, probably good advice. But now it's like don't don't leave your car on the street. Don't leave your car in an apartment parking lot. If you put your car in a garage, make sure the garage is locked. Take all your valuables out of the car because if you don't, it's going to be stolen. How much more of this stuff are we going to collectively put up with? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I've had it up to here and, and then more so with listening to all these different stories. And I understand you, you want to talk about a crime that is incredibly regressive. And that by that, I mean, it, it affects 
it affects poorer people more than it affects wealthier people. Nobody wants to have their car stolen, but okay, you know, okay, in my particular situation, we have two cars, and I don't want to have my car stolen, but, you know, a car gets stolen, well, well, that's fine. We've, We've still got another car. We can still get around. I can go out. I can afford to rent a car while the insurance works all this stuff out. You, you, you can do that, but somebody who, only has that one car and depends on that car to get to work. How much more of this are we going to put up with? 855-616-1620, 3,852 car thefts from the mean streets of Milwaukee, and it's only, what, June 2nd, 3rd, 4th, whatever. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, there's a serious misconception among way too many DAs and judges in urban areas that um, the people who are too young to get a license and steal and carjack vehicles are merely underprivileged or misguided youth who need coddling and counseling and jobs. The disrespect and financial and emotional impact these former grand theft crimes have on innocent victims in the community needs to be put first. Enough is enough. To which I would say, you know, a, amen. I mean, I, I, a, a, amen. Absolutely. Jeff, when you're waiting in line to pick up your child at school, make sure your doors are locked. Yeah, a matter of fact, I actually heard from one of the women who was a victim of that. There was a story about a week or two ago, and that wasn't just car theft. That was carjacking. She's um, at her kid's grade school, which I believe is a parochial grade school. She's she's in the, the line, like at 2.30 in the afternoon, waiting to pick up her kids, and she gets carjacked. I mean, seriously. When are we going to say enough is uh, enough about this type of stuff? Um, Jeff, I, I know it would cost a little extra money, but what about installing a kill switch in your vehicle? They don't know where it is unless you switch it on or off. I guess there's all sorts of things that you can do. But but the underlying problem is we have a cancer in this community and the cancer, which, by the way, is not it's not linked to just the city of Milwaukee. I mean, you look at you look at the Tosa numbers, you look at the brown deer numbers. They're, they're nowhere near as bad as, as Milwaukee, but their population's a lot smaller and proportionally. Unfortunately, they're, they're up huge. That If you just look at it as a percentage, the number of cars stolen in Wauwatosa this year is higher than the number increase, the increase in percentage of cars stolen this year is higher than it is in Milwaukee. Jeff, until insurance premiums rise sharply in the metropolitan area, then people will start pushing elected officials to do something. Um, you know, that, that could be. Um, Jeff, I would think that because so many cars are stolen and insurance claims are filed, doesn't this affect all of us in the long run somehow? Well, sure it does. I mean, it, sure it does because as, as the insurance companies end up paying out, that's how they base their, their premiums. And yes, if you live in areas where cars are being stolen on a regular basis, yes, sooner or later your, your premiums are going to go up. Jeff, the juveniles don't face any issues for stealing a car. Well, yeah, I think that there's that's you, you as a practical matter. It doesn't no matter how many cars you you steal, you're probably not going to get waved into adult court in Milwaukee County. They just flat out 
will not do this. Um, Jeff, this epidemic is bigger than COVID, and it's only getting worse. Punish everybody worse. Put them in jail. Punish the teens as adults. But the mayor and the city will never address it. No, they, they just won't. Jeff, it's going to take a mayor and common council and police chief that care about the community. Well, we had a police chief that cared about the community. They ran him out on rails. Um Jeff, the only people that seem to care about this are people who live in the suburbs of Milwaukee. The residents of the city don't seem to be bothered by it. Otherwise, they wouldn't keep electing officials that allow this to happen over and over and over again. Somebody was asking me about, uh, you know, whatever happened to uh, Chris Abley's car? Did they ever get that back? Well, remember, Chris Abley, the county executive, he was carjacked right down the street from where I'm sitting here. And the, the, the morons who did it didn't know how to drive his the sports car that he was driving. So they, they shot it and then they drove off. And to my knowledge, those those carjackers are still at large. Um, you know, Jeff, much of this is relative. Kids stealing cars to robbery and shooting at cops. Start taking all this seriously and clean it up. Stop catch and release on theft. Treat kids participating in unlawful activities as adults and end the cycle. I think there's um, I think there is an element to that. Jeff, it's not just the inconvenience, but it's the cost of insurance. It goes up for all car owners that do the responsible things to insure their car. Uh, Bill in Kenosha. Bill, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. I gotta say, it's uh, what we've kind of uh, asked for by elected some of these officials and gone with, you know, the way we've treated policing. Um, you know, to prevent this, the police officers have to be out they have to be making aggressive stops. Not aggressive in mean aggressive in meaning that hey, you're stopping a lot more people. The more people you stop out there at two and three in the morning or one o'clock in the morning, you're gonna be you know, then you're deterring some of this. The problem is now these guys they get in these cars and they're driving around. If an officer tries to stop them, they can drive ninety miles yep. an hour through a residential. The officers are gonna shut down the they're not gonna chase them. Right. And the you know, nobody wants them to get in any kind of confrontation with a stolen car. We've seen it with retail theft and things where everything's being reduced. Everything is not even a crime. Yep. So now, that, you know, the answer is, hey, it's just property. Don't worry about it. And then when those first kids are stealing cars, next thing you know, like uh, one of your texters said, they're going to be uh, doing a robbery. Then they're going to be carjacking, armed robbery. Sure. Because they're getting away with it. So oh, yeah. it's one more thrill. And one more thing they can do. I, 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 I agree. Meanwhile, you've got the victims. So where, where is this concern about the victims? And I, I think, you know, you touched on something that I, I, you can't underscore enough. I think there is an attitude that's out there that, you know, car theft, for example, is just, it's a victimless crime. Okay, it's no big deal. You rip off somebody's car, and then, well, they probably got insurance, and yes, there's a little bit of an inconvenience there, but but we, we can't make this a priority. Well, this is a huge quality of life issue to me. I mean, it, it seems to me incredibly, incredibly significant, and it affects quality of life in a community. To your point, um, car theft, I think, clearly is one of those, um, it's one of those precursors 
precursor sort of things. You you start by stealing cars, and then you start carjacking, and then you start doing the the other sorts of situations there. So I, I mean, it's clearly what we we say. Some people say marijuana is a gateway drug to harder drugs. Car theft is clearly clearly a gateway crime to other more serious crimes. And look, I don't fault the police. I understand how frustrating it's got to be to be a police officer because there's so many cars that are being stolen, and you've got all the other stuff. You've got the shootings that are going on. You've got the murders. You've got all the other crimes of violence that are going on. It's tough to make that a, a priority. I understand that. Plus the other frustration you got if you're a cop. So you catch it, and it turns out to be some 16-year-old punk who's been through the juvenile court system three times, and this he's caught stealing cars again, and you arrest him, and you know it's going to be that same revolving door because we, we have a mayor, we have politicians, members of the Common Council, um, who are, aren't willing to stand up and say, okay, we've really got to start taking back this community and we've really got to start saying enough is enough. And the answer is, well, okay, lock your car and, and put, you know, put the club on it, which isn't, I'm not criticizing that advice, but that's not the solution. The solution is to stop this stuff and it's getting worse and it is spreading. It's not just the city of Milwaukee. It is spreading to the suburbs. Because we keep turning a blind eye to this, and I end this topic with the same way I started it, how much more of this collectively are citizens in this area, in this metropolitan area, going to tolerate before we say enough is enough? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One of our texters over the break has inspired me to tell two stories that I have not told in a while. Uh, we were talking, of course, about you know the, the fact that apparently it's, it's not a big deal among judges and among prosecutors and among elected officials that you have 25 cars a day being stolen in the streets of Milwaukee. Jeff, can we somehow telepathically channel all those thieves to have them go down and concentrate and steal cars of some of the judges and the DAs and maybe something will get done? Now, I would not encourage that, but I do have two related stories. I had a, a friend long since retired who was a Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge. He will go unnamed. But great guy. He was also very fastidious. He, he, he dressed very, very well. He was very particular about how he dressed. He was very particular about his automobiles as well. This is a true story. He bought, and this is years and years ago, but he brought a brand new Lincoln Continental fully tricked out. This was an expensive car, fully tricked out, had all the bells and whistles. Now, I don't know where the judge is in Milwaukee County Park now, but back then there was a separate secure parking lot, but it was like an outdoor parking lot, but it was secure that that the judges in Milwaukee County had. So the way my friend, now the subsequently retired judge, tells the story is one day he's in court and all of a sudden a couple Milwaukee police officers walk in and they kind of flag him down. So he takes a break and they come over and they say, um, Judge so-and-so, we, we've got a question. Did, did you lend your car to anybody? And he says, well, no, I didn't lend my car to anybody. And they said, well, specifically, did, did you give anybody permission to use your car? And now he's like, no. Well, do you know where your car is? He says, well, my, my car is in the judge's parking lot. And they say, no, no, your your car, they're, they're, 
There used to be a department store called Chapman's that was at Bayshore. This is years and years ago. I said, no, no your, your car was just used by three young men to conduct an armed robbery at the Chapman store in, at Bayshore. So these guys had stolen the car off the judge's parking lot um, and, and drove it out to, to Bayshore, and they'd used it to hold up a Chapman store. Okay, so that, that's, that's the first part of the story. Now, I don't know how it works now, but back then, insurance companies wouldn't pay off they they you had to wait 30 days before they would treat the car as as gone you know so you know you, you could get it they'd pay for rental cars and stuff like that but they, they wouldn't treat the car as a total write-off and give you the money until 30 days so the, the judge is kind of like watching the clock so honest to god true story day 29 he gets a call from the milwaukee police the good news is they found the car the bad news is <laughs> The car, they, they found it in an it, down some alley in the city of Milwaukee where it has been, well, I, I can't exactly how he, he described it, but essentially there have been people living in this car. I mean, the thing is completely stripped out. There's, there, there's been people living in this car uh, doing God knows what in, in, the, in the car. And, of course, th- this judge, like I say, is very particular, very fancy dresser. So the insurance company says, well, we're not going to buy you a new car. What we're going to do is we're going to pay you to restore this thing. And at which point in time, the judge was like, well, so they gave me this money. But he said, I, I knew what was being done in my car. You know, I, I just I knew what was going on. And I, I couldn't drive it. I could never drive it again. So he ended up selling it for a loss. But let me tell you, you did not want to be a car thief going into Judge So-and-So's courtroom after that. A related story. This is when I'm a federal prosecutor. I, 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 I practiced in front of many very, very good federal judges and very, very decent people. There was one federal judge who was a, a, a screaming liberal. And, and I, don't, I don't say that in a bad way. I mean, it just, it just was. You, you knew Judge So-and-So was, was like this. And he, he didn't like criminal prosecutions, and he, he always wanted to bend over backwards, giving people like the benefit of the doubt. And that, that's, that's, that's all well and good. Wanted to do that. And um, he, he just didn't like handling criminal cases in general. And I don't think he was... I don't think he was well suited to do the criminal cases because he 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 didn't like holding people accountable. That was just his nature. And he, he didn't. So I have a case. True story. I don't know if they still use them, but they for in in Milwaukee they used to have these things, and maybe they still do. They're called postal relay boxes. And, and what happens is if you've got a mail carrier who's working a route on foot, well, they they can't carry all the mail that they have for for the entire day. I mean, they can only carry like two blocks worth of mail. So all over the city, and again, I don't know if they still do this, but this was back in the day, there would be the, these little, they call them relay boxes. And what would happen is some guy in a truck would go out in the morning and he'd put like, the little bag, two weeks, two two blocks worth of mail in one relay box. Then you'd go two blocks down, and there'd be another one, and they put you know two blocks there. And the the mail carrier that's on foot, you'd walk to the relay box, you'd open it up, you'd get the mail out of that, and then you'd you know you'd deliver the mail, and then you'd go to the next relay box. That's why they called them relay boxes. Well, I had a guy who had a relatively lengthy criminal record who was stealing mail out of the relay boxes. He'd, he'd kind of follow the, the mail truck around, and when the guy would drop off the mail, he'd break in, and he'd steal these things, and he'd take checks and cash and all those sort of things. So they catch him. I prosecute him. And and we go in front of the, the one judge who was kind of like the bleeding heart judge. And I know the guy's attorney had told him, look, 
that this judge, he's not going to think this is a bad, big deal. He's going to be mad at Wagner, me. The pro- he's going to be mad at Wagner for even walking a case like this into federal court. Well, I mean, it's a federal crime. The guy's stealing stuff out of mailboxes. And I, I mean, I don't know how many thousands of dollars we caught him with, but you know, it was, it, it was a lot. Plus, you know, he'd been doing it for a lot of times that he hadn't gotten caught with. But anyways, the guy goes into court. And I know his attorney has prepped him. Don't don't worry. The judge isn't going to think this is a big deal. He's and he's going to probably yell at the prosecutor for even bringing this case in front of him. So so we're we're there, and you know we kind of go through this. And like I said, the guy had a relatively lengthy criminal record. And all of a sudden, we get to the sentencing thing, and I'm fully expecting that I'm going to be kind of spanked for bringing this case in front of the court. And all of a sudden, the judge just he says, I. I just don't know. He, he goes, I, just, I remember, he's got, I, I just, I don't know what we're going to do with you. I'm looking at this record. You've been doing all this stuff. You know, I, and I, all I can do is I can put you, I, I just, I hate to do this, but I can put you in jail. So at least if you're going to keep stealing, you're not, you're, so at least you're not going to have a chance to steal from people. And he sentences the guy to three years. And I will never forget the, the guy. He looks at his lawyer, then he looks at me, and he says, three years. And then he uses a word I can't say on the radio. He says, I didn't kill anybody. I just stole some mail and the judge says take him away and we're all stunned the lawyer is stunned. i'm stunned because again i figure i'm going to get yelled at and i'm trying to figure out what's going on here uh, court goes out of session and i'm looking at the court reporter who they, the court reporters work for the different judges and i said what just happened and um the court reporter says the judge was away over the weekend Somebody broke into his house with a moving van and cleared it out. He came back from his vacation. His house was empty. I mean, it was just clearly empty. And so there was a period for about four or five months that every time you went in front of this particular judge, he, he, the person who we was standing there, the criminal, he saw that guy, you know, stealing his furniture and stuff like that. So it, it kind of, it, it, it was that kind of that old adage about how liberals are just conservatives who've never been robbed. And he ultimately went back to his ways. But I, I, you know, for the, the texture who says, well, maybe if these car thieves start stealing judges and DA's cars, no, you don't want that to happen. You, you want to get them off the street, period. But it is interesting. Once you have been victimized, your perspective on what a big deal this stuff is changes. All right. Speaking of victimized, the former president continues to play the victim card. We'll discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. No, those stories are are both true, and I know I've shared them over the years. But you do the show for 23 years, and you, you repeat stories every once in a while. I just try not to repeat them you know, too often, but there's always new people coming in now. So if you've heard those stories before, I apologize, but they are, they are both true. And I just remember them like, like they happened, like they just happened yesterday. There's just, there, there were so many interesting stories about like chasing criminals and catching them. And, you know, you have all these, these different, some criminals, see, some criminals are really smart and you have to work to catch them. And then other criminals, it's kind of like the, the low hanging fruit. And that, that's, it kind of what balances it out. All right. There, let me kind of back into this topic. Bear with me for a minute. The, um, the Virginia hasn't elected a Republican as a, as a governor since 2009. There is a guy who's running this year. His name is Glenn Youngkin, and he's a private equity boss turned Republican nominee for Virginia governor. And and one of the interesting things is he's a newcomer to politics. He's kind of well, sort of like I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say his, his politics are, are like Ron Johnson's politics, but you know, Ron Johnson was was a newcomer to politics. He was a business guy. That's that's who this guy 
is. I mean, he's a newcomer, so he's kind of a, a blank slate. And there's a big story in the Wall Street Journal about how what, what he's trying to do to to win as a Republican in Virginia is he's trying to sort of thread the needle because you have you, you have the forever Trumpers that are out there that and you've got the never Trumpers that are out there. And all of them probably agree on on most of the issues but, you know, there, there's this whole personality, the never Trumpers who just can't stand Donald Trump and the forever Trumpers who just yeah, they, they just can't get enough of the former president. And it's real interesting because in, in mounting this campaign, he, he's trying to he's trying to appeal to, to both sides. And at least so far, they think he's having a degree of success. But part of it is that he, he is kind of this newcomer. So he, he's not really identified with either camp. So he can try to like bridge that gap, which to me is what I think Republicans are going to need to do to, to move forward. You're going to have to figure out how to bring these divergent sides of the Republican Party t- together over the issues and say, look, we, you know, I mean, President Trump isn't president anymore. And, and so what we have to do is we have to figure out all those people who, who just love President Trump and the personality and things like that. And we've got to get them together with the people who are Republican leaning voters and who support a lot of these policies, but yet we're, we're turned off by the president. So that, that's kind of the challenge. Now, one of the things that makes it a little bit more difficult is that, um, Former President Trump is not going quietly into the good night, as you might say. Washington Post has a story today. And by the way, the as I have said before, the, for the, the liberal media, whether it's the MSNBCs or the CNNs of the world or the Washington Post, or the New York Times of the world, Donald Trump was a godsend because they, they set themselves up, the, the media, and forget journalism, it was, we're going to be the anti-Trump papers of record. And what they saw was that their their viewership or their readership just exploded because you had all these people that just hated Donald Trump, and so they, they wanted to read everything they could that was negative. And so the Washington Post and the New York Times and the MSNBC or whatever, they, they fed that. Well, now that Trump is gone, they're seeing that, that their numbers of viewers or, you know, clicks that they're getting or readers, they're declining dramatically because they don't have, to borrow the phrase from Richard Nixon, they don't have Trump to kick around anymore. So there's this conscious effort whenever they can, and I think it's a business decision, not a journalistic decision, to try to see, can we get Trump in the headlines? Let's put a negative headline about Trump because maybe that'll help us get some of these people that you know were with us for the last four years, but we've lost in the last five months back. So the story in the Washington Post today, here's the headline, Trump, and of course that's guaranteed to get their, their clicks, Trump has grown increasingly consumed with ballot audits as he pushes falsehood that election was stolen. Former President Donald Trump remains relentlessly focused on the false claim that the November election was stolen from him and is increasingly consumed with the notion that the ballot reviews pushed by his supporters around the country could prove that he won according to people familiar with the comments. Trump has rebuffed calls from some advisors to drop the matter. Instead, this is the story, fixating on an ongoing Republican-commissioned audit in Arizona and plotting how to secure election reviews in other states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, New Hampshire, and Georgia, according to advisors. He's most animated by his efforts in Fulton County, Georgia, and Maricopa County, Arizona, according to two advisors who, like others interviewed for this report, spoke on the condition of anonymity 
to describe private conversations. So in other words, here we're going to put out this explosive story, but we're, we're not going to name names. We're going to use anonymous sources. So there's no way that anybody can ever like deny that they, they said these things, or there's no way that anybody can challenge the reporters on how much did you really question these people. So you, you've got that use of anonymous sources. But anyhow, you have the story out there that, that Trump you know, is, is consumed with these ballot audits. And, and the idea is that they somehow might be able to reverse the election. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I understand why the New York Times and the Washington Post and MSNBC and places like that, you know, push th- this kind of narrative. Um, but I, I, I candidly think that most people on the left or the right ha- have kind of moved on and are now looking forward. That is that this notion that, okay, Donald Trump somehow thinks that, you know, he, he's going to be re, you know, instated as president in the next couple months. I, I don't think anybody buys that. I don't think anybody credibly buys it. I think there are people who continue to have concerns about, you know, the way the election was conducted. Um, maybe there's some people who still think the election was stolen. I've never been one of those guys. And I, I do think there's legitimate concerns moving forward about some of the stuff that was done in a COVID year that might not be authorized by law that now people say, well, we, we did this in a COVID year, you know, so we, we have to do it again. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is it time to move on from the the election was stolen narrative? And I believe most people have. I mean, I don't think there's too many people out there who really believe that, for example, something's going to happen and Joe Biden's going to be kicked out of office and Donald Trump is going to be reinstated. I I just don't see that as happening. I think despite what the narrative might be, most people have moved on and they're starting to look forward to say, okay, if there were problems with the 2020 election, if there were, you know, what can we do to make sure it doesn't reoccur in 2022? 855-616-1620. Have you moved on? I think most people have. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Econet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, Jeff, I'm pretty sure my state representative believes every crazy fraud theory and hasn't moved on, and I think that's somewhat um, concerning. See, that that's why... It, I think that I think the the media, especially the anti-Trump media, has this interest in, in keeping the the this, the Trump stuff you know bubbling because again it, it attracts the the headlines. But I think for the vast majority of people, even if they're not happy with the results of the 2020 election, I, I think and, and even if people believe hey there were voting irregularities, and I, I'm not one of those people by the way, but even if they do, I think the vast majority of people have, have moved on, which is why you see some of the legislators legislatures across the country trying to address some of the things and some of the, the voting practices which were not necessarily authorized by statutes but were, which were allowed by courts because we were in a pandemic saying look let's we got to go back to, to sort of follow the law and that's that's kind of the case in in Wisconsin I mean there's I don't know if some stuff is legal or, or not, to, to be honest with you. And that's why I think the court is going to have to decide, you know, can you have things like democracy in the park? 
Uh, I, I think, you know, there, there's an argument you can make that, you know, events like that are contrary to state law. But the courts have to decide that one way or the other. Um, Jeff, 70 percent of those who voted for Trump think the election was stolen. You think they've moved on. I do not believe so. I think the only person that does is Liz Cheney. Jeff, I have to move on. I admit it's kind of nice with boring Biden, less arguments with family on politics and less shocking tweets and posts every day. My TV news channel viewing is way down. Um, yeah, I think there's, I mean, I, I think that that's clearly a factor in, and that's what you're starting to see. The, it's the, I, I have to tell you, that the the chaos I think was wearing. I was talking to a a very very well connected Republican operative two days ago, and we were just talking about that. And he was a big Trump supporter, very very big Trump supporter. But he was even saying that the the chaos the chaos was kind of wearing after a while. And I would kind of agree with that. Uh, let's see, text Jeff. I have moved on, but as you often say, some people can't let go of mask wearing. Some people can't let go of Trump. However, it does work both ways. I accepted. Biden winning at the end of November, but as we know, 400-plus people who stormed the Capitol did not accept that outcome either. Yes, I've moved on, but some people out here will not. If this notion that Trump will be reinstated in August, I do believe that there are some forever Trumpers out there who would show up at the Capitol. Maybe, but that's, I mean, that that's kind of the hardcore, and there's always going to be hardcore out there. Jeff, I didn't like the outcome of the election, but I have moved on since November of 2020. Jeff, I've moved on. We need to concentrate and focus on choosing Republican nominee for president. I happen to like Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, um, both of whom I think would be excellent choices. Uh, let's see. Jeff, I think it's time for you to move on from Trump as well. He currently has no power. You have anything on Dr. Fauci? I think a lot of people would say it's time to move on from Anthony Fauci as well. Jeff, I moved forward on November 4th. I've stopped watching Fox, MSNBC, and especially CNN because they are way too far left and too far right. I'm dying to find a show that's in the middle. You know, it's interesting to that point. I was at... Um, well, it was my brother-in-law's funeral. I was at the funeral on, on Friday evening, and I I ran into a um, I ran into a, a young lady. She's in her early thirties, I would guess. Who, as it turned out, she was introduced to me. She was a regular listener. She said, "Jeff, I listen every day. I love the program." I, I do have to admit, though, and I, I I'm embarrassed to admit this, but you know, I, I stopped listening to everything like a couple weeks before the election because I was just getting so worked up and it was just so frustrating and stuff. But now I'm back listening again. I said, well, that, that's fine. But I, I mean, I understand. I think there's a lot of people who just kind of, you know, punch out um, for that. Jeff, anyone who thinks that people have not gotten over it clearly want to create drama rather than to move on, which is, again, why I think you're, you're seeing the, the, these headlines and these sort of obsessive stories that, oh, Trump is planning a return to power. Now, I, let, let's, let, 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 let's be honest. I mean, maybe Donald Trump still thinks that the, the election was stolen. Again, I'm not one of those people, but maybe he still believes that. Um, and, and maybe he'd like to be vindicated in his mind by having some audit showing sort of widespread fraud that I do not believe occurred. Okay, I mean, I, I'm willing to accept that. But the idea that there's going to be something magic that happens and all of a sudden, a year into the Biden administration, we're going to have somebody somewhere say, okay, Donald Trump goes back into the White House. I mean, uh, that that's... I think that's again that that's clickbait for the internet sites, and you know may, maybe that's headline grabbing stuff to try to get some of the people back. 
bottom line is, and I want to circle back to where we started this conversation, I, I think it, 2022 is going to be a really, really interesting election year. Typically, the party in power loses seats. And keep in mind, right now, you've got a Senate that's split 50-50. You've got what a, a House of Representatives that that's there, there's like a 10-vote difference or something like that. There's... Um, like 220 Democrats to 210 Republicans, something like in, in that, in that area. And so what, what happens is that just a few elections, a few races one way or other could swing control. So you're going to have a lot of attention to that. I think it's important for, for people to focus on the future, not, not the past. And that's why guys like the, the guy running for governor in Virginia, I find them to be intriguing because they are kind of blank slates. And, you know, they, they don't have the baggage of the last couple years, um, which, and I say baggage, I mean, some people pack light, some people don't necessarily pack light. It, it's sometimes that baggage can be a plus. I know for Senator Ron Johnson, who still is not announcing whether he's going to run again or not, which I think, as I've said to him, and as I have said on the air, I think does a disservice to I think it does a disservice to people who are looking for a Republican option for the Senate. Um, I, I think he should decide one way or the other and announce as soon as possible, like uh, like several weeks ago. But, I mean, let, let's face it, Ron Johnson's got baggage, and, and maybe that baggage is going to be good. Maybe you open up that suitcase and he's got all the Trump loyalists there, and, and maybe that's going to give him a leg up on winning. Maybe it's going to be baggage that ends up hurting him, but, but he's got baggage. I think some of these other candidates that are emerging that really don't have that baggage – they have this opportunity to, again, thread the needle, like I was saying, between the forever Trumpers and the never Trumpers. going to be interesting to see how all this plays out. 2022 is going to be a really fascinating election year. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, even though I believe that many people have moved on, I confess that I am... Very intrigued by an event that is occurring, well, a week from Saturday, 11.30 a.m. to 4 p.m., River's Edge, Apple River Concert Venue, New Richmond, Wisconsin. This is the MAGA Frank, Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy, presenting MAGA, Make America Great Again, Frank, Wisconsin 2021 um, rally, um, free tickets and info, Special live appearance by President Donald Trump, our real president, via Jumbotron, and uh, Sheriff David Clark, former Sheriff David Clark, a number of some of the usual suspects, and Mike Lindell. It is going to be interesting to see how large a crowd that event draws and what the tone of the event is, whether it's forward-looking or whether it's kind of obsessing over what happened in the past. Don't know. Uh, but you know that's going to get a lot of attention, and you know that's going to get a lot of clicks over time. All right, least surprising story of the last 24 hours. Uh, Milwaukee, the acting police chief. Now, this is the second acting police chief that we have had in Milwaukee since um, Alfonso Morales was unceremoniously and illegally dumped by the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission. Anyhow, the, the current acting police chief, the, the first acting police chief, um, Michael Brunson, he retired. He, he did it for a few months and then retired. So the, the current acting police chief is a guy named Jeffrey Norman, who's been with the Milwaukee Police Department for 
25 plus years local guy um, who, who would I think a lot of people thought he would be a strong candidate for chief. But what happened was he didn't even make the final cut when the Fire and Police Commission was looking for people to replace Chief Morales. He he, he didn't even make the final five finalists. So he, he's now in the position. And by all accounts, I think, you know, people think he's doing a, a pretty good job. Well, anyhow, the reports are that um, he, he's now um, he's a candidate for the soon-to-be-vacant police chief position in Wauwatosa. Uh, Barry Weber, who's been the police chief there for years and years, and of course decided he was going to retire. And um, so they're going to be announcing their list of finalists extremely soon. But but, uh, Chief Norman has applied for that. And so now there's a lot of this buyer's remorse that's out there. There's a lot of people saying, well, maybe, maybe we should have, maybe we should have figured out a way, a way to get him to, to stay because, you know, even though the Fire and Police Commission didn't think he was good enough to be a finalist, now, you know, it looks like maybe he's, he's doing a, a good job and we'd hate to have him walk away and, and go to, you know, Wauwatosa. I understand that sentiment, but I have to tell you, if whether it's it's Jeffrey Norman or anybody else, either in or outside the Milwaukee Police Department, that the operative phrase is why in the world would you want to get involved in that hornet's nest? I mean, if if I was acting police chief Jeff Norman at this point in time and I, I had a choice if they decide, hey, you, you've got this great experience. We want you in Wauwatosa. If the choice is, OK, staying in Milwaukee where you've got all the dysfunctional problems of you've got the Common Council, and I understand the Common Council doesn't select the Fire and Police Commission, but you've got the messed up Common Council, you've got the mayor who's pretty much punched out now, you've got the Fire and Police Commission, which is a complete and total messed up situation, and you've got the specter of the former police chief, Alfonso Morales, who's been ordered to have his job given back to him unless the city can, you know, work out a settlement with him in, in 45 days. And as I've said this before, and I I, I know Al Morales. I, I understand. I, I've heard him saying these things in public, but let, let me cut through all this. Al Morales is not crazy. Al Morales, the last thing Alfonso Morales wants actually is to have to go back and work as the chief police chief in Milwaukee. Now, he's got a, for the purpose of settlement, he can't come out and say that. But, you know, why in the world, if you were Al Morales, would you want to go back and be the police chief in the city of Milwaukee? You've got a mayor who never supported you. You've got a, a fire and police commission that illegally fired you. So so you, you go back and you, you, you go into that job and you know the long knives are going to be out. You've got the common council who, who's, again, it, it's just a, a dysfunctional thing. Half of them don't like him. Why would you walk plus, 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 What's happened is since you were discharged, you've um, the there's been all sorts of other people that have been promoted into kind of command level positions that would not have been your choice. I am told to to occupy some of these positions. Why in the world would you occup- Would you want to go back into that job? Now he should never have been fired in the first place, and it's going to cost the city of Milwaukee a whole bunch of money. But to the point of trying to find a new police chief, all that's on hold right now because you've got th- this whole mess that's going on. And the court orders with regard to Morales and the dysfunctional fire and police commission and the punched out mayor and the and the common council and all these things. So if if I'm 
now the acting police chief in the city of Milwaukee who applied for the job and was passed over. Why in the world would you stay? I, now, I, to his credit, the acting police chief says, well, I'm, I'm the acting police chief now, and I, I mean, as, as long as I'm, I continue to come to work and I'm going to continue to do the job, but I understand why this guy's applying. If I, if I were him and I wasn't ready to retire, I'd be applying all over. And I think, you know, Jeff Norman would be a good choice for for Wauwatosa. But even if the city of Milwaukee decided, you know what, we've rethought this and we're sorry that we passed you over when we had the opportunity to select you months and months ago. And now we'd like a second kick at the cat. If I'm the acting police chief, my response is, sorry, thanks a lot, but I'm looking for other pastures. And I don't understand why anybody right now would want to come in and take that job as uh, chief of police in the city of Milwaukee because you're pretty much setting yourself up to fail. You're dealing with essentially the same screwed-up fire and police commission that dumped Alfonso Morales in an illegal action. You've got all the issues with the police department that's there. You've got the political mess that is existing. I mean, it just I guess I lump it into the category of life is short. And maybe the phrase is life is too short to deal with all those problems that you're going to have in the city of Milwaukee. And the the real sin of this, the real sin of this is it didn't have to happen if they hadn't have done what they did to Al Morales without any clear plan of moving forward and without authority of law. If they hadn't have done this, they, they, we wouldn't be in this mess. But the Fire and Police Commission did what they felt they had to do. They screwed up badly. And it's going to take a while for the city to dig out of it as to far as who wants to be the police chief, the next police chief in the city of Milwaukee. My question would be, you know, why would anyone want that gig? Back with more in just a minute. And this is Jeff Wagner. Now, I want to be consistent. One of the things that I I thought is petty and probably illegal has been all across the country, you will have some of these elected officials, predominantly on the left, who will decide that what what, what we want to do is we want to use our power to to ban certain things. Chick-fil-A. We don't like Chick-fil-A because, well, uh, who the owners make some political contributions to or that the fact that they're, you know, those type of things. We, We want to ban these types of things. And, for example... Like in in San Antonio, you can remember the Common Council pulled out of a a deal they had to let Chick-fil-A open a a restaurant in the airport. And ultimately that got reversed, but Chick-fil-A said, look, we don't want to go in there anyways. But I've I've railed against the the left and the way it's used some of its power to, to again, try to say, okay, we're going to go after people because of their political ideology. Now, I think turnabout is fair play, and that's what I thought when I saw this particular story. Apparently there is one county, Surrey County in North Carolina, where the phrase is, Coke is too woke. Now, you can remember, you know, Coca-Cola, which is based in Georgia, their executives decided to come out and make public statements chastising the Georgia representatives and the governor for passing some of the, the voting changes they did. Voting changes, which really, contrary to the way the media played it, weren't that extreme. But you know, would I have done them all? I don't know. But it wasn't like it was really Jim Crow. But that's not the way the media played it up. And so anyhow, Coca-Cola and Delta Airlines and a couple other Georgia companies jumped on that bandwagon and were criticizing the Georgia for this. Well, Surrey County has voted to ban all Coca-Cola vending machines in its offices over the criticism that Coke offered of the new restrictive Georgia laws. Coke is too woke. My take on this 
first of all, I much prefer Diet Coke to Diet Pepsi. So if I was there, I'd want to have access to the Coke. Secondly, here's the bottom line on all this. I don't think elected officials should use their pins to take it out on, again, companies, even if the companies maybe would be better off keeping their political opinions to themselves. Let the public decide whether they want to buy Coke in a vending machine or buy a Chick-fil-A sandwich at the San Antonio airport. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, I think I deserve good husband points for last evening. Okay, what did you do? All right, well, we, we've talked about this before. My my wife is a huge fan of the TV show Friends. To the, and it, it seems to me Friends is always on. I mean, it, it, every time you, I'm, I'm channel surfing and stuff, there's some station that's like showing Friends. And mm-hmm. and so it, it's 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 on. She falls asleep to Friends. She goes to bed before I do typically. <laughs> and I come in and like Friends will be on. And it's interesting. There's like 200 episodes of Friends, but it's the same. I swear it's the same, same five episode? that they show all the time. <laughs> no. But, but yeah. so she's a huge fan of that. And a number of her friends mm-hmm. are are. are our friends John and Mary and Dale and Maggie, they're all huge fran- fans of Friends as well, to the point that they've all seen all the episodes multiple times and they know all the lines and stuff. And I, I don't hate the show, but I, I didn't watch it first time. And I just don't get it. You know, I mean, I, I mean, it, it's kind of harmless and stuff, but I'm, I'm not a Friendsaholic. So um, last week on HBO Max, they dropped the, the Friends reunion show where mm-hmm. they got them all back. Apparently, they paid each of the class members $2.5 million. What? Oh, I didn't realize two and that. Two and a half million dollars a piece wow. to show up. It was the first time they'd all been together in 17 years. Well, who's not going to show up for that? Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as, as we've talked about, Aaron, Rod- Aaron Rodgers <laughs> well, yeah, passed exactly. $500,000, half a million bucks. No, two and a half million. So, mm-hmm. so anyhow, they we... we our, our, our friends do not have HBO. So so last night was the Friends reunion viewing party. And so these other couples came over to our house and they, they brought pizza and stuff. And, mm-hmm. we, and so everybody's going to sit down to watch Friends. And, of course, my wife in her own inimitable sweet fashion said, okay, you're going to sit there and watch this with us and don't, don't be mal, don't be making noise, you know, so. <laughs> don't be uh, making noise, right, I love no, that. Just don't, you know, you, you just, just resist. Don't whatever, make fun of it. Right, what, resist whatever urge you have to be you, you know, I mean, I, under, I understand you, yeah, you've got all that. these temptations to be this smart, but just stop it, you know, and so, so I, I sat there and I watched the whole thing. I did not cut out, I watched the entire thing. Wow. Um, so impressive. an hour and 45 minutes and we, we took that all in and everybody seemed to, we had different couples, and we had our friend Pam was there too, and and we, we, we kind of took it all in. And you know what? My big takeaway from this was: now the show's been off the air for seventeen years, mm-hmm. and so they brought them all back. The three women, Lisa Kudrow, Jennifer Aniston, and Courtney Cox, they all looked really good. I mean, they yeah. they looked they all looked really good. They're aging very well. They are the the guys. They looked like hell. <laughs> I, I mean, I just uh, the guy that played Joey Matt LeBlanc. He, he's he's put on a lot of weight. Okay, so not that guys don't use Botox, but one word, Botox. Well, <laughs> for the ladies, I'm well, sure. Courtney Cox, her lips are like cute. I mean, it looks like yeah. she said, yeah, that 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 was kind of dry. But but they all three look good. But like the guy Matt LeBlanc, and, and look, we've all put on some weight, so I get that. But I mean, he it was clearly like they show the film clips from back 15 and years ago, like, and you go, huh. Um, there's a whole other Joey in there. And, um, David Schwimmer, uh, he, he, he was actually, they said, the first one cast. They, when they developed oh, it, they, they did it with his view and with, with his voice in mind. And he, 
I mean, he, he doesn't look too bad. Doesn't look too bad. Mm-mm. But then Matthew Perry, who's you know had a rough time with booze and drugs and stuff, and he he kind of he's looking a little rough. He he was yeah. looking a little rough. I would have shaved if I were him too. But you know, he, he does kind of like really rolled hindsight. out of bed and yeah, hindsight yeah. it's that thing. But it was kind of an interesting thing to watch this all, I guess. Well, like uh, like your friends, I don't have HBO Max, so I'll have to wait till it maybe moves over to a different streaming service. Would you watch it? I would watch it. Yeah, I think I would. I think I would enjoy it. It well, it was kind of interesting to. I would have actually liked to. There, there were. It, it's a little bit long. It's like an hour and forty minutes, and they have all these these vignettes where they have people from all over the world, like reminiscing, talking about how Friends was important to them. I would have rather seen it. To me, the more interesting things were the the cast talking about. You know how, behind how they, the scenes, right? Stuff. How they shot stuff, and and then they show they show outtakes and things like that. That was the more interesting thing. I'm just intrigued by that how that stuff. So works. it's interesting. You said 17 years ago it was on. <laughs> that made me feel old. 17 years 1994 ago, 1994 to 2004. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That yeah. that's mind blowing. Well, it is. You know, and I will say this. I think we, we were talking about this off the air. Friends aged well. The other show that I think. I am surprised it aged as well as it had with Seinfeld. Yeah. Because uh, I see, I always thought, I mean, I, I, I appreciated Seinfeld. I wasn't this huge fan of Seinfeld when it was on, but I always thought it was too, too topical, too New York centric. To, to have to have legs, I'm you not, would I'm, think. But but I I admit to being completely wrong because I mean Seinfeld is another you you watch those Seinfeld episodes now you know twenty years later and they're just as funny now. They, they, it's it's really timeless yeah. comedy, and yeah. I think I think maybe Cheers is in that sort of same vein of where you can watch a Cheers show and it's you know it's still funny Norm you know or whatever those little catchphrases. Um, right. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, it, it's, yeah, I mean, but it shows like that. But, um, yeah, two and a half million dollars a piece yeah. for the six, for the six. But they, they actually, they do seem to genuinely like each they, other. They do. It seems like there's a natural camaraderie. Well, I guess if you do a show together for that long, you, you can really get to know each other. Right. So it's kind of an interesting thing. But I, I think I, I, I want good husband points because not only did I watch <laughs> it, I laughed at the appropriate times and I, I, I restrained my inner oh, Jeff. Good. Maybe, I, <laughs> maybe Fran will give you a night off. Yeah, I restrained my inner Jeff. You know, I was thinking, OK, I'm, I, there's something snarky that just just good. because you think something snarky doesn't mean <laughs> you have to say something snarky. And I find myself a lot of times it's like, oh, did I say that out loud? Oops. You know, so I, yeah, I restrained yeah. myself. So, yeah, that was it last night. Watch the Friends re- Union. If you get a chance to see it and you're a fan of Friends, I'd, I'd enjoy that. All right. Now, Friends was set in a coffee shop. This is the segue. Friends was set in a coffee shop, or at least a lot of it was in a coffee shop. If Friends were running today, the storyline might be they can't find anybody to work in the coffee shop. Are they going to come back to restaurants? I've got an interesting and provocative question to ask. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I was talking a little bit about the Friends reunion. Of course, a large part of the show was set in this coffee shop where they'd all gather. There's an interesting piece in the Chicago Tribune today that's talking about the shortage of workers in restaurants. And for our our discussion, I, I want to move past the you know the the what we've talked about multiple times in the past the the three hundred dollar government 
you know, subsidy to the unemployment benefits that has now created a disincentive for some people to go back to work. Okay, that, that that's not really the issue that I want to address because that subsidy is going to end at, at some point in time. In 24 states, they've already canceled that, and I think by, by September – uh, it will go away for, for everybody. So you're not going to have this incentive for people to not go back to work at jobs that pay like less than $15 an hour like we have now. But that's not the, that, that's not the larger point. Story in today's Chicago Tribune is talking about how, it, at least for some, they believe the shortage in getting help in the hospitality industry, restaurants and bars, that this is now going to be a permanent thing moving past past covid and the basic premise of of the story and they they do interviews with people who worked in the hospitality industry all their life and who because the restaurants were closed down or whatever um what they did is they the the people had to find other things to do and they've moved on to you know other jobs so instead of you know being a line cook at a restaurant in chicago they've gotten a job at at a a walmart or they've gotten a job you know in in retail and so that they've moved on and so the question is do you think you're going to go back for these people do you think you're going to go back into the hospitality industry do you think you're going to go back and and work as a server do you think you're going to go back and work as a line cook and things like that and and in the general at least the theme of this story is that, you know, we, we, we've moved on. That, you know, working in the hospitality industry, and again, I'm talking about restaurants and bars and things that are like that, that that's hard work. And it's not as much fun as it used to be. And if we can make as much money, again, working in a retail environment, if we can make as much money working at a Menards or much money working at a, at a Home Depot, um, and again, we're, we're talking about comparable sort of jobs. I'm not talking about a deal where you, you go and you suddenly find this opportunity that maybe you were making $40,000 a year, and now you've figured out that I, I've got a new job that's going to pay me $100,000 a year. But the premise is that a lot of people are finding, you know what, we started in the restaurant industry. We started in the bar industry or whatever, and we're finding that there's a lot of other jobs that are out there that pay pretty much the same and all things being equal, th- these jobs aren't as hard as working in the hospitality industry. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, here, here's what I thought was really interesting about that premise, because I know a lot of people who have worked their entire lives in the hospitality industry, you know, as servers, as bartenders, as cooks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I, I mean, I know some who, who did it for a while while they were in school or looking to do other stuff. But in general, the people that I think I know who worked in the hospitality industry just absolutely loved it. They, they love, I mean, I, I know people who worked as servers, for example, who would say, you know, I can go in at the right restaurant. I can make in, in three or four hours, adding tips in, I can make as much, if not more money than I could make working, you know, eight hours, you know, at, at, at a, again, at a, at a big box retailer or something like that. And, you know, I know people, women in particular, who could tailor their schedules. Okay, well, this, this is a great gig. You know, I, I can be, I can be home when my kids get home. Um, I can get my kids off to school and, you know, I can go in and I can work these evenings. And again, I can make this compensation. So, I mean, the people that I know as a general rule, and there's always exceptions, just loved, 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 loved working in the hospitality industry. 
as a, and again, there, there are exceptions, but you know what I'm talking about. And th- this story suggests that as a result of people being forced to find different alternatives over the course of the last year because the restaurant and the bar jobs went away, the premise is a lot of these people aren't going to come back because what what they that they they like what they're doing now better or they think it's easier. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Candidly, I don't think I buy that. And I but I I'd like to throw this out. If you have you know worked in or do work in again what I'm describing broadly as the hospitality industry, my my sense is most people who do it like it. And if the choice was here, continue, you know, being a server, continue being a bartender, continue being a cook or whatever, or go and, and, and work stocking shelves in a grocery store or retail in a big box retailer or something like that, I think most people are going to still choose the hospitality industry, all things being equal. What do you think? 855-616-1620. And again, if that's the nature of your business, if you are a server, if you are a cook, if you're, you know, front of the house or whatever, you know, how have you treated this last year? And do you think, again, putting putting the unemployment issue aside, you know, are you going to go back into that industry? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Lamar in Orlando. Hi, Lamar. Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. What do you think? So... So I was I was in hospitality as a young man. Um, I was a server at Denny's right there on Ronda Road as a young man, and I'm talking about 16. But I figured out, even though I, I made a, ton, a killing, I made three or four times what my friends made, um, you know, as income. But um, I left that job for a job, you know, a part-time gig at the Y when I was still in high school because in hospitality, even though you make a killing in tips, it's feast or famine. Either you're doing really well or you're not doing you're you're, you're just not doing well. And at the Y, I had consistency. You okay. know, no matter if I went in and I did my shift, I got a paycheck no matter what. Yep. At Denny's, if the weather was bad, or like we had a snowstorm or something happened, I didn't, I didn't make any money. Right. And so even though I had the really good days, the bad days, you know, but at the Y, I was consistent. I think that's what a lot of people <clears throat> in hospitality are seeing, that consistency. Right. Um, you know, and in some positions, you don't have to deal with as many customers. And everything when you're in hospitality especially serving, it's all about that customer interaction. Anything goes wrong, you take the hit. And right. so it's just not that way when you're dealing with a regular job with that consistent salary. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you make that point. I have a text from somebody who says, I used to love to wait tables, but not anymore. People are rude. <laughs> you know, the issue is some people they come are. in, they treat you like you're dirt. You know, at Walmarts or Menards, you do your job, you get paid the same thing, <laughs> which is kind of the point you're making. Yep, and that's 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 the argument I've always made when those people that are talking about the minimum wage when it comes to serving. I'm not going to open a minimum wage argument. Right. I'm just talking about in respect to serving tables. That's the argument that I've always made because I, I I pick again. I, these are observations that I made as a young man. Temperature is bad in the restaurant. If it's too crowded, there's a smoker, someone's cursing. The server takes a hit for all that stuff. Yeah, everyone yeah. else in that building is getting a, a consistent wage, and so I traded that in for consistency, even though I made more money serving. Okay, thanks. Well, see, that's the interesting thing. Now, the I, I guess it, partly it probably to an extent I think depends on where you are and the type of restaurant you're in. Like I say, most of the people that I know that work in the restaurant industry, they, they love it. They love the hours. Now it's weird hours. There's, there's no question about it. I mean, that's the thing about the hospitality industry. You're, you're working 
when everybody else is you know, having fun. You, you, you know, you're, you're working Friday nights, you're working Saturday nights, you're working Mother's Day, you know, you're, you're working, you know, that, that's the, you're working on Father's Day, you know, you're, you're working on Easter. And, and that's one of the things that you end up giving up. Tyler in Richfield. Tyler, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I have a lot of, uh, I'm not personally, I, I'm not personally in the hospitality industry, but my mother is, my, and some other family members are. My mom works a full-time job, nine to five, working in the office, but then she uses her, her hospitality income as supplementary income. And, um, and her, like many other, many of her, uh, the people that she bartends with and serves with is, they, they love their hospitality job and they have, they see no intentions of ever leaving because of the way that the wages work, you know, they make like a dollar or whatever, two dollars right. an hour, but then they make all, they rely on their tips. Right. And my mom really appreciates that. But the problem that her restaurant is having and a lot of other restaurants around here that I've noticed when I go out to eat is that they don't have the line cooks. They don't have those hourly workers. And that's where um, I, I agree. Like, I don't think that a lot of people are going to want to work as a line cook when you can go work at Walmart for the same price. And also... When you're working at those big box stores, you're also getting way better benefits. Right. And, uh, no, know, that's going to be the challenge. It should be. No, no th- thanks for calling. Yeah, as, long yeah. as, as th- long as smaller companies. Yeah. Yeah, no, th- that, that's, that's, I mean, that, that is going to be the challenge moving forward. It's, in many respects, it's people who've been forced and, you, okay, maybe you worked as the line cook or, or whatever, and because your restaurant is shut down, you're, you've now been forced to go and, and find something else. The question is, are you going to come back? I don't, and again, I'm, I'm putting aside the, the unemployment benefits questions, because that, that's, that's going to end at some point in the next couple months. To me, it's a question of whether or not this is prompting a career change for people. I, I think, I say, I just think for a lot of people, that there's stuff that you, you that, that you love. To me, I, I look. I am not Melissa Barkley. I'm not suited to be a server in a restaurant. I just I wouldn't have the patience. You I know? would like you to be my server. Well, thank you, but I I would no. You that's what you say. No, I get I, that though. Right. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of like okay. So you you know what you know okay. So your steak's not done enough. Okay, just tough it out, pal. You know, but, no, no, but I just I just wouldn't have the patience for that. I'm I'm not geared to that. But I think that there are people that are, and the people I know who've worked in the restaurant industry, they they just love it. They love the interaction, understanding that you're going to have the jerk customer from time to time, but kind of like being a salesperson the the good you know you, you get told no a lot a lot of people say no i'm not you know if no i'm not interested in buying this i'm not interested in buying this but that that rush that you get from making the sale is you know overcomes the five or ten people that tell you no john mccure we'll find out what he has on his mind in just a moment